Just Go With It is a podcast hosted by two millennials who swear. And also, it's about horror films, so listener discretion is advised. We will put specific content warnings in the show notes. Boo! <laughs> See if I look away from the peppers and onions I'm I cooking. Won't. I won't. Look <laughs> at the look. Sorry. So Sorry. <laughs> the eyes. It's just terrifying. Oh, I was speaking gonna, of I eyes, was though. I was going to say, I was like, I almost said speaking of terrifying. So this oh, works no, out. Oh, no, the eyes. How Elaine's eyes are always just like, <gasps> oh, yeah. yeah. She, Elaine is terrifying in the best way. <laughs> I can't get over when you said, I want to do Elaine's look, and I hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> and I was like, from Seinfeld? <laughs> I was like, I did not think that she had a very distinct makeup look, but sure. No, Elaine from The Love Witch, the movie we're covering this witch. witch. (laughs) This witch instead of this week. This is why I shouldn't do intros. (laughs) It's the witch for this week. The witch week, if you will. The witch week? We're talking about The Love Witch. We're talking about The Love Witch. (laughs) Which is... Which is a good movie. It's got its... We'll we'll get there. We'll We'll get get there. there. It's been a week. It's been a hell of a week. As in, I forget how we even do things. And at least we don't have to introduce anybody. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Which we'll do in the middle if we ever have to. So don't worry. Don't worry. Stop roasting us. Okay. No one commented on... Stop roasting us so hard. Stop roasting us. No one has said a damn thing. And I'm like, everyone's dragging me. (laughs) (laughs) Literally no one gives a shit. We're talking about the love witch. I, I think I just jump into facts, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Good, because I've got some this time. <laughs> Not like last time where I had nothing written down. This is great. I want to insert that clip of Robbie just going, oh, none? None oh. at all? Oh, you didn't? Do any? <laughs> I'll drop it in. <laughs> it's my favorite moment of all time. Oh, none? Like at all. <laughs> we listened to that at least 10 times when we were editing. It was the nicest drag. <laughs> like, it was the nicest, oh, shit, really, none? <laughs> Sometimes I get excited and I forget to take notes. So sue me. <laughs> this time, not the case. <clears throat> this movie was made in 2016. This is wild to me. It was written, edited, directed, produced, and scored. Is it Anna or Anna? Anna. Anna Biller? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Anna Biller. Wild. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I cannot picture doing that much work for a film by yourself. Like, I, like obviously working together, yeah, but... Whew, hot dog. It took seven years. Seven years? Uh-huh. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mind is blown. I took notes, I swear. I did not know that this took seven years. She tried to hire someone to do the costume, someone that she knows. Yeah. And she, like, explained the Renaissance scene, and the person was like, I'm not doing that much work. And she was like, even if I, like, hire you two assistants? And she laughed at her, and she's like, <gasps> no, I'm not. And then Anna did all of it herself and was like, oh, yes, this was... A ridiculous Hard. amount of work. Which is funny because I do have things to say about the costumes. I'm so excited. So I now I feel kind of bad. But it's fine. We'll get there. Um, so Anna Biller, uh, this is what I had written down. Obviously, I think we're going to talk about it more. This is just a quick. She considers herself a feminist filmmaker. Specifically is like what it said on multiple things that I read. Mm-hmm. Um, she consciously explores like feminist themes throughout her work. I believe this is only her second full length feature. The first one was Viva. Okay, yeah, which I couldn't find the name of, but I knew that there were two. Okay, mm-hmm. so and then uh, so uh, the cinematographer was David Mullen, which I believe they went to school together. Hmm. I I may have just read it incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure they like went to school together. 
um, like film school. Uh, but he was also the cinematographer for Jennifer's Body. Oh my god, okay. Yeah. Um, he did other things as well. This was just the one that I knew the most about. And I was like, well, Kate will obviously know this as well. <laughs> and hopefully the people who listen would, because, you know, we've done that one. Mm-hmm. Go listen, it's great. Um, uh, for this film, he actually won Best Cinematography at the Dublin Film Critics Circle. Super neat. Uh, it makes sense to me. I understand. Like, even if you don't love the way this film looks, the work that goes into it, you gotta applaud. It's intense. It's a lot. Like, making something look this aged, this well. Like, this movie convinced people that, like, it was old. Like, people weren't sure. Like, if you were just seeing it in passing, and you didn't see the fact that it had, like, modern cars and cell phones, I really... Oh, it was so good. And it was shot on 35mm. Yes, it was! So... But she... I think does most of her work, she said. She's like, she prefers I prefer to do it, which that's dope. It's a lot of work. Oh, God. But especially, uh, it, it's just a lot. <laughs> like, um, uh, so, okay. These are some of the facts. Since most of the film was made by, like, one person, I didn't have a lot of, like, facts about people working on it. Mm-hmm. So instead, I have some facts about how they used uh, lighting techniques <gasps> and certain shots. Yes! So, <clears throat> specifically light. for this movie to kind of copy like old Hollywood films in the 60s and even more so I would say like the 50s Mm -hmm. they did hard lighting Mm -hmm. so specifically hard lighting for people who I guess don't know hard lighting is like specifically light that comes from like one pretty intense source that creates very hard shadows and like a lot of contrast whereas soft lighting would come from like multiple light sources and also would be probably like filtered in some way to create like yeah like a diffuse light to create like a nice soft very well lit like look um so that's what they used specifically for lighting and then also my favorite thing is they use diffusion filters on close-ups um and diffusion filters are so cool so it's what gives it that like old-timey 60s look so you can't it's like at first, when I was watching it, you can't really put a word for it. You're just like, it looks old, mm-hmm. but it's not out of focus. Yeah. That's what a diffusion filter does. So a diffusion filter will take, like, that hard look you get from just looking at a shot. Like, yeah. if I took a picture of you and it was just clear and a good picture, uh-huh. Which it you would use... Which look what I'm wearing right now. <laughs> I think you look great, so how dare you. <laughs> um, a diffusion filter gives you that, like, soft glow around the thing and softens, oh. like... Um, it just softens like the light itself. Mm-hmm. So you still get the hard contrast. You still keep like your sharp edges from like whatever it is you're shooting, but it just adds like a soft halo of a glow around whoever you're oh, damn. shooting, especially for close-ups. Yeah. And that's what gives it that like dreamlike kind of, this is old, this is, it, it was just great. Like, and it wasn't used on like every close-up, but a lot of them, especially of Elaine. Where she's doing her love magic with her eyes. Yep. (laughs) So that's why when you look at those shots, she has like that halo of kind of light around her. So it's still hard lighting. Like even though it softens it, it's still coming from like one source and creating that super hard shadows, but it's soft looking. It's weird. It's like they have both going on. It's awesome. Um, So also a kaleidoscope lens was used for the drug trip scene, Mm -hmm. which is great. I mean, of course it was. Yeah. I love kaleidoscope lenses. They're wild. (laughs) Um, And then the last thing I talked about, I think, was uh, rear projection is used for the driving scene. Oh, I was wondering. Yeah. So, and like rear projection is relatively common for movies, I I believe in like 40s, 50s, and like 
sometimes in the 60s. I think it started to kind of go, like, people started to be like, it's a little outdated, like, 70s, 80s, obviously. But still, some movies in the 80s used it, like uh, Terminator, when they have those big trucks chasing them and everything, that's rear projection. Which, rear projection is just when you take a projector and you take whatever image or moving, whatever you want, you project it from behind onto, it's called a plate, and then you put your... I think if I'm wrong, I'm going to feel stupid, but then you put your uh, subject in front of that. So it's projecting from behind. You can't see the projector, obviously, but you put the person in front of it. So it looks like it's happening behind them. Yeah. Cool. So it's relatively easy. Like it sounds like it would be when I read the description, I was like, I don't get it. And then I kind of looked at it and I was like, Oh no, I do. I do. I get it. (laughs) Um, And that was supposed to be like a, an homage to the birds, Yeah. which is the opening scene of the birds is like a rear projected scene of her driving. And that's what they use for, like, most driving things. So that way, you know, you don't have to have your subject in a car mm-hmm. <laughs> actually driving. Um, yeah, I think that's all the things I had. I do have – I don't have a budget, but I have how much it made. Hmm. I don't know why. I couldn't specifically find the budget. I guess if it was made over such a long period of time. And she did everything herself. She probably didn't have, like, a running budget, and especially because she did it herself. Yeah, it's not like a studio had a budget. Do you want to guess how much it made? It was mostly shown in art houses. Mm-hmm. We showed it at the theater I worked oh, at. Oh, dope. Yeah. 25, no, 250,000. Wow! It's 246,218. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> you did it. It never happened. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, I mean, which for a movie that is, you know, only shown in like art house theaters, that's not bad. I yeah. mean, that's super dope. I don't know. Huh. It's a really interesting film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have, I have a lot to say about it. Like, a, I definitely watched it at a stressful time in my life. Oh, God, the week For anyone had. that doesn't know, I haven't had internet for a week, and I had to end up fixing it myself because my internet provider wouldn't do it. But it's fine. So I had to watch half the movie using the data off my phone, and then oh, I fixed Jesus it midway Christ. through the movie, and everything's fine. And everything's fine? So if I go over my limit, this could be the most expensive episode of <laughs> Just Going that we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll see. Um, oh, God. Now I have to recap the movie. Just fucking try. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a young witch loves many men. But is their love enough? Ooh. They also die. <laughs> I like they also die. <laughs> I, like, got through that sentence that I went, oh, shit, they also die. I guess I should just say that. <laughs> I thought it might be important. Capture it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Incredible. So that's my summary. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there a real one? Eh, depending on how you consider this. I think that it doesn't really capture exactly is it the movie. but Vague or is it just like not quite right? I think it's missing things. Okay, okay. okay. I'm excited to hear. Not like mine who, you know, I got, got everything, everything yeah. the meat. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes says, Elaine, a beautiful young witch, is determined to find a man to love her. Accurate. In her gothic Victorian apartment, she makes spells and potions, also accurate, then picks up men and seduces them. However, her spells work too well, and she ends up with a string of hapless victims. When she at last meets the man of her dreams, her desperation to be loved drives her to the brink of insanity and murder. Well, okay, I see what you're saying, because I'm like, I, okay, we'll get to it, but I don't know if it's that that drives her. I'm like, she's kind of murdering before that, but okay. (laughs) And she's been through the... She's been through some shit. So yeah. I'll get into that in terms yeah. of like the intention behind the film. and shit. Which I'm excited about. Because like we talked about this a little bit before <laughs> where 
I was watching this movie and the whole time I was just like, oh, this Elaine's kind of the worst. Like Elaine is, oh my God. And then it got to the very end and I was like, no, we talked about it. I did the, I'm in danger where I was like, <laughs> I see myself a little bit in Elaine and I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> Not everything, obviously. Again, don't just the murder. Yeah, just the murder. Mm -hmm. See, I just I keep unfortunately murdering my lovers. And but you're not a witch. Not a witch. Just a murderer. Just a murderer. (laughs) So, like I said, I see some things and others I don't. Yeah. We'll get to it. No, I'm not a murderer. (laughs) Everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, he's a murderer." Mm. Shut up. She's just a cannibal. Don't worry about oh it. Oh my God, this is so old. Okay, I'm not a cannibal, and I also have messages that say you are. So careful. I have a recording. Oh, where yeah. you said <laughs> flesh, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Forgot. Be careful who you try to blackmail. Oh shit. <laughs> all right, all right. Fair enough. Yours is worse. You're right. <laughs> What's nerd corner about? Okay, so I want to say in advance. Mm-hmm. I love the visual aesthetics of this movie. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Yeah. That being said, watching this movie was exhausting for me. Tiring. You know how I am. I'm constantly trying to figure out what the purpose of a movie is. Like, I want to sort through metaphors, symbolism, dialogue, camera angles, all of that. Because I'm like, what is this movie doing in society? What is the director trying to say? What do they want this movie to do? Yeah. And sometimes it's maddening because it feels contradictory. So I knew I needed to read what the director had to say. And I got a very helpful tip from our friend Robbie, who you may remember from last week's episode. We did introduce him. Everyone shut up. (laughs) Shut up, you know who Robbie is. God. Robbie from Could Have Been Heroes, a really cool podcast. Uh, so he recommended Joe Bob Briggs' Last Drive-In. I think it's Last Drive-In. I, I believe so. I was like, okay, I know his name is Joe Bob Briggs. I'm not sure about the Last Drive-In part. <laughs> I believe so. I've uh, heard the name before. He used to have like a long-running show mm-hmm. and then it, it ended, but then he did like a series of specials on Shudder. Oh, cool. Uh, so I watched it and it's like three hours long. Oh, wow. And basically it's Joe Bob Briggs talking about like language at the beginning. He like digs deep into how hun is like multiple i don't know i didn't watch that part i actually skipped it (laughs) sorry i was like i'm just here for the interview uh and i didn't realize it but it actually shows the entire film oh and it cuts it neat actually yeah it was really cool i thought that it like he yeah cuts the film up into i don't know probably like six to eight segments i didn't count right but um it's interspersed with interviews with Anna Biller. Oh, cool. Okay. And I thought it was really cool to where, be able to like hear her perspective. Where'd you find that? Shutter. On Shutter. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Well, everyone go watch that. And also, yeah. I'm going to watch that. That sounds dope. I didn't realize that's what that was. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So I've watched the movie once mm-hmm. and then I watched it in quotation marks because I was doing right. laundry. And so I just had like my AirPods in. Yeah. And so I was listening to the movie and the interview. So yeah. I've seen it once, listened to it once. Okay. But, um, it was really helpful to like watch it with the perspective of the director and writer and right. everything in mind. Because I was trying to take it in a very different direction than it was originally intended. I have a feeling I did too. Yeah. Since I don't know this, I have a feeling that I took it in my direction <laughs> and not... So let's see. I have expectations and I'm going to get into why those might not be fair later. Okay. Yeah. Um, but on hearing more from Anna Beller's perspective... I can see how this is a deeply personal film for her. Right. That doesn't mean I won't critique some aspects of it. Uh, Got it. And this nerd corner was also kind of difficult because she vehemently pushes against a lot of readings of the film. Really? Uh, yeah. So I want to stick to Anna's intent and then how I think that operates kind of within society when we label films as feminist. Okay. And not just the creators as like, I don't know. I'll get into that. Right. 
This also means I'll have some fun facts peppered in along the way. We love peppered fun facts. We love My favorite peppered seasoning. fun facts. <laughs> yum, 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 yum. Cook me up good. Yeah, I know. I said uh, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my catchphrase. <laughs> so just like I did with the whaling, I want to cover some of the common misinterpretations mm-hmm. or the ways that people are mapping certain politics onto the film. Okay. So first and foremost, Anna Biller is very firm that it's not at all a nod to or a satire of sexploitation films of the 60s. Okay. Period. Which... Are you going to define sexploitation? Because I kind of know some. Okay, I will. Cool. Yes, because I did not know what it was. Yeah, I have like an idea, but not enough to... Yeah. So she's really tired of getting that question or seeing that written out. Mm -hmm. And she says that she is inspired by classic Hollywood and maybe specifically pre-code movies through the 60s up until sexploitation films. Okay. So I wasn't totally sure what pre-code meant. Mm -hmm. I only vaguely knew that the Hayes Code was a thing that would affect it. So I did digging. And this is the first fun fact. So the pre-code era is a short period whose beginning is either the start of the sound era, when Mm -hmm. sound was in films, or 1930, when the Hayes Code was first written. Okay. Generally, it's understood as the time where sound was in movies, but they were not heavily censored for content. So technically, the Hayes Code was adopted in 1930, but wasn't really enforced until 1934. So depending on where you put the start, it's like four years to, I don't know, like eight years or some shit. I don't remember when sound was new. (laughs) When was sound? I've always known sound. I don't know. <laughs> a time before sound? I don't know. I don't know her. I don't know. So in films of that period, they were... Uh... Okay. So during that period, instead of having like the overarching national guidelines, it was more subject to local guidelines. Oh, interesting. Uh, and this meant that films in this time were more likely to have, quote, sexual innuendo, romantic and sexual relationships between black and... Nope. White and black people, mild profanity, illegal drug use, promiscuity, prostitution, sex work infidelity abortion intense violence and homosexuality God <gasps> oh my god oh lord okay thank you wikipedia Fainted. for that list that i edited a little bit uh so some examples of pre-code movies are the public emony <laughs> <laughs> sure isn't that the public emony <laughs> i love emonies <laughs> I'm a baby <laughs> is this the baby episode yes. shit no one told me oh god i guess i have to get ready <laughs> Let's try uh, this again. <laughs> Some examples of pre-code movies are The Public Enemy. Enemy. <laughs> it Happened One Night. Mm-hmm. And The Baby Face. Yeah. I have seen none of these. Me neither, yeah. <laughs> I, I was nodding like, oh, uh-huh. those ones. Okay. Yeah. I, I was going to put Scarface on the list, but mm. I feel... Okay, so that one is originally like a movie from the 30s or some really? shit. Yeah, but most people don't think of Scarface, the pre-code movie. They think of Scarface, the gangster yeah. movies. I don't know. I don't know you shit. You said Scarface and I just assumed yeah. it was the one I knew, which nope. is not. Okay. Nope. <laughs> uh, so I've seen none of these. I think the earliest film, I was trying to think of this earlier, I think the earliest film that I've seen is Mildred Pierce, which is from 1945. Oh, that's actually, that was listed in um, one of these things about where they took some of the inspiration for lighting yep. and like camera techniques. It's hard lighting specifically. Film noir. Yeah. Uh, it's, <clears throat> I watched it for my Women in Hollywood film class yeah, in undergrad. It like had a lot of the hard lighting that they were kind of going for in yep. this it also had, like, a little bit of soft lighting, mm, yeah. which I think they tried to avoid in this one. Yeah. Cool. So, anyway, I wasn't familiar with sexploitation films either, mm-hmm. so I did digging on that. This is where we get the next fun fact. So, sexploitation is a subgenre of exploitation films. Okay. And the umbrella category encapsulates films that try to make big money by exploiting current trends, lurid content, and niche genres. Okay. Thank you, Wikipedia. 
Uh, these films are usually both low budget and low quality. Okay. And a sexploitation film is one that features non-explicit sexual situations and gratuitous nudity in the hope that lurid content will bring big bucks. I see. So it's okay. just like, you want tits, huh? Uh, okay. So a lot of people see The Love Witch and are like, ah, I see you brought hella nudity to the table. You must be influenced by sexploitation films, yes? That's a shitty thought. And Anna says no. <laughs> uh, not only does she say no, she also agrees with the AV Club interviewer who asked if calling it sexploitation is a way of reducing the political statement being made by the film. Mm. To that question, Anna said, they are reducing the film. They're reducing the character in the film. They're reducing me as a filmmaker and my practice. But they're also doing something larger. They're actually reinforcing the forces that are described in the film that ruin women's lives. The idea is that the film is about how objectification ruins this character's life. They refuse to look at the real actual thing that happens to women, the thing that happened to Hillary in the election, the thing that happens to women who try and get somewhere and do something. They're saying we want to reduce women to just sex objects, and we're celebrating that, and we think you are too, although they think I'm being ironic about it. It's tricky because the character is designed to arouse men and make women identify her, and that's exactly what's happening, but you would expect for more men to have a critical distance. It's like for many of them, pleasure can't coexist with ideas. There was a political backlash. This is another part of the interview. Continuing the quote, though, there was a political backlash against women in the 60s and 70s with the sexual revolution and the second wave women's movement. There was this really strong push to objectify women and say that all they were was sex, was sex objects. Viva is very directly about that, the way women were dehumanized during the sexual revolution. The Love Witch is about that, too, but The Love Witch is more about how that objectification continues into today and causes women to dehumanize themselves, to not pursue their goals and dreams, and to feel less than a man. I write a script about a woman's life being destroyed, which is a very personal story, and that's all they get out of it. There's an insensitivity to that comparison that becomes harrowing for me after a while. I mean, I might be taking all of this too seriously, but you have to understand that this has been going on for almost 10 years. It was only after three or four years of these reactions that I started to stand up for myself and explain where I'm really coming from. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And because I know we're going to get into like where we disagree on what she says and all this, but I I, I do agree with this. Yeah. because, like, when I watched it, a lot of the times that the main character, or, any, or even any of the characters that are nude, it's not really sexual. Mm-mm. There are times when her, like, her, like, body is being used purposefully to, like, arouse someone mm-hmm. in the film. But there's literally a scene that talks about how, like, women use their sexuality to sometimes get ahead. And, like, if they have to yeah. do that sometimes, then they do. And, like, we shouldn't be ashamed of it. All this stuff. It's a great scene. I love yeah. that scene. But that sucks that people just keep saying, like, that's what this is. That's what this is. Um, I don't know if you have anything about this in your notes, Mm -hmm. but I actually did read a whole section about the set dressings and how she also purposefully did something like this. Like, she purposefully did something so flashy and, like, old Hollywood. She wanted the set dressings to be, like, really vintage and she wanted the costumes to be outlandish and not outlandish to the point where it didn't fit in, but outlandish in the fact that, like... It looked old. It looked beautiful. And, like, they were gorgeous because she wanted the audience to notice the set and the costumes before they sexualized the characters. Yeah. Because that's the one thing I read is that she was like, I want people to notice everything in the film before they start to sexualize her. So, I want them to be distracted. So, that way, yes, she's doing something sexual. But, like, there's so much around that I don't want that to be your focus. Yeah. So, I thought that was super cool. Especially because... We've talked about how set dressings go unnoticed a lot of times. So it's really cool to hear a director be like, I specifically put so much thought into this 
in order to avoid the thing that is now happening. Like, yeah, she's meticulous. That's yeah. something about Anna. Um, I, I read a lot about her sets and like how hard she worked on costumes and stuff. And it makes sense now why. <laughs> like, she was clearly trying to avoid this <laughs> that is happening. And yep. that really does suck. And like when she gets asked this question in basically every interview, and the AV Club one is the one that I'm like pulling most of these quotes from. But when she's interviewed by Joe Bob Briggs, he's like, hey, so, uh, you know, there are reviews that call it a nod to or a satire of sexploitation. And like, you know, you have said that you don't agree with that. Can you explain? And she's like, yeah, anyone that has seen sexploitation films knows that they're nothing like what I'm doing. And he's like, yes, I agree with you. I've seen them. And this is nothing like a sexploitation film. Yeah. Like, so basically, even on the merits or whatever of a similarity, it doesn't like even just on the aesthetic, it doesn't match. And then on the intent, it doesn't match. Right. Like, I'm not I don't think I've ever seen and maybe I have and I just don't know it. But like, I don't think I've seen like a sex exploitation film but in no way if someone told me to describe what i think one is this wouldn't be one of them no just because like i don't see their bodies as being used as a sex object in this film unless it's the purpose of the scene yeah and in that moment i'm not picturing her as a sex object i am picturing her using sex to get the plot and like to move things along and to do basically to do what this director wanted to do. Yeah. Like it was never about like, Oh, we're going to get a lot of butts and seats by showing some tits here. Yeah. That was never the intention. No. And one of the driving forces of exploitation films is like, we're going to make this really racy. We're going to make it yeah. really like inappropriate or call on like trends so that we can get people in to see it because it's so yeah. outrageous. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I guess what I'm trying to say too, is that like, I don't think Every time that Elaine is, like, nude or any time that she is seducing it someone, has a purpose. it has a purpose. Yes. It is not tits for tits sake. Yeah. Like, you know, sorry to sound crass, but... Oh, you <laughs> sound crass? <laughs> <laughs> but me? But yeah, like, it's not just like, oh, we showed boobs. Can you believe it? It's like, there is a reason she's mm-hmm. doing this for a reason. This is part of the plot and you need to pay attention. Like, yeah, exactly. yeah it makes, yeah, that makes sense. God, that sucks that yeah. she literally gets it every time. So to summarize, like where we are so far, because we're only yeah. halfway through nerd corner. Sorry, <laughs> no, I got you're excited. good. This is a this is a hefty nerd corner, mostly because that was like a page long quote. But yeah. I really wanted on. Oh, hi goose! <laughs> she tried to jump on my lap too, and I was like, "Don't, I'll fall." I like kept kind of like you know nudging her gently away, Me and too. I didn't think that she was gonna make. She was this. like, "I'm jumping up, bitch! <laughs> I'm gonna bust in! I'm busting in!" <laughs> so to summarize, where we are so far. The aesthetic choices are not meant as a recognition of sexploitation films. In right. fact, Anna says the aesthetic is apolitical. She just likes those clothes, those styles, those makeup. And yeah. what you said about like the way that she likes lighting and the way that she's drawing on old Hollywood, etc. So the vessel isn't in the design. The storyline yeah. is where folks should be focusing and looking for right. a political message if there is one. Yeah. And this is the part where Anna kind of loses me and then brings me back in again. Okay. It so, happens. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, no. Oh, wait, they no. They had us in the first half, not going to lie. It's like the chick trying kombucha. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's me. Well. So here's a quote. Okay. I'm actually trying to describe what happens when men have to move from feelings of lust to feeling love. They lose their mojo and they become all weird. Men in long-term relationships, we all know how they lose their mojo. They just completely fall apart. They feel like they're not even a man anymore and they get kind of feminized and weird and they have this longing for this animal brutal part of them to come back. Love does that to men. I exaggerated a bit, but I don't think a lot. That's why men don't want to go there. 
So the reason that I she kind of lost me there yeah. isn't because I'm like, oh, I must defend men. Like, that's not where I'm oh like. Oh, God, no. <laughs> no, I think it's just very hetero and cisnormative. That was my thought, too. So I was like, no, no. <laughs> because you're just saying, like, men are lusting over women. And women love this way. Men love this way. And I was like, right. but both sexuality and gender are spectrums. Exactly, So yeah. this just feels very minimizing and exclusionary. Okay, yeah, that's exactly what yeah. I felt too. I was like, I hope Kate and I are lost in the same part. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I understand that that is, and it, like that is a real issue. Like I can understand like yeah. in certain relationships, that's totally something that happens. Yeah. But also we're excluding a lot of relationships yep. and people from this. And I'm going to get into kind of how I feel about that okay. later. Because yeah. I'm very conflicted and I'll, yeah. I'm going to stop teasing my own nerd corner. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say, I'm like, it's coming guys, don't even worry. She's going to trick us and be like, next time. And I'm going to be like, Oh, are we done? <laughs> Shit, no one told me. Uh, so then where she was like back, where mm-hmm. I'm back on board with her is, this is what men demand of women. So it's talking about when Elaine is just like, I am the love witch. I am your ultimate desire, like your right. ultimate fantasy, whatever. This is what men demand of women. It's a kind of social irony. They want this woman who's beautiful. She's perfect. She looks gorgeous all the time. She's subservient. She doesn't talk too much. She cooks for men. She's loving. What if you took that literally? What if you really become that thing that men want you to be? That's what Elaine does. She's a good girl in a way. She says, I'm going to do the things they want me to do and then I'll be happy. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to rage at them. I'm not going to be angry. I'm just going to do exactly what they want me to do. It's not her thing, though. That's where the comedy comes from. The comedy comes from her little... This is all a quote still. Right. (laughs) The comedy comes from her literal interpretation of what is demanded of her. It is an impossible standard that no one can live up to, and that doesn't make anybody happy. Men's requirements of women are impossible and ridiculous and so destructive. It's a comic within the movie, how it happens. Or it's comic within the movie, how it happens, but it's not comic when it actually destroys a woman's life. Right. I'm not going into the really dark things that happen to women. Plenty of women say, I'm just going to make myself into a sex object. But they often can't stay afloat doing that. They can't maintain their sanity. Some women can, but many cannot. They think they can, but self-objectification is really dangerous. There's a dissociation from your own humanity and from your own soul and spirit that, if you do it for too long, does create a kind of madness. Some of the people who've really responded to my film strongly are sex workers because they're like, this is my life. In a way, maybe it is. It's about things that are real, but I've coded them because I'm trying to make something pleasurable, not something ugly in the way that it really is. It's actually much more terrifying than how I painted it. I'm trying to give people a pleasurable cinematic experience, but I'm talking about things that are extremely dark. And so when people take it for fluff, and I read reviews that say it's light, or things like that, or don't take it too seriously, there's a political dimension to that, I think. Don't look at women's lives. Don't look at what women go through. If you think this is a serious plot, it's not. It's a joke about other movies 50 years ago. Don't pay attention. I'm trying to transform it for myself into something that's not so depressing too. It's almost like when you have a dream where something that was ugly in your life becomes beautiful. I think cinema can do that. Cinema can transform pain and trauma into something beautiful. I'm trying to transform it, sort of, to purge it in a way. I found that filmmaking for me works like gestalt therapy. It can purge things, it gets rid of them. For me, I don't feel so bad about them anymore. But then because of the audience reactions, I'm re-traumatized. All of these confusing things that happen in your life, being a woman, you make a film about them and you purge them and then you feel great. And then the reaction from critics and audiences come in and it's the same thing that caused you trauma in the first place. God, that sucks. (laughs) So it's an absolutely massive quote. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's really important context because this is a movie by a woman about what she as a woman has experienced in her dealings with men. Right. And talking about that is valid. She is allowed to talk about her experience. I'm just also concerned with the fact that queer people aren't referenced at all. 
And it's not like a negative portrayal. They just don't exist in any way. Right. And prior to reading some of the interviews, I would have been inclined to think the very heavy-handed dialogue about men versus women could actually serve as a critique of the gender binary. Right. But reading on his interviews, I really just don't think it was on her radar at all. No. And again, this is where I kind of start going in circles on my opinion. Because I don't want to assign someone responsibility for covering every single social issue in one movie. Right. Especially when that movie is a very personal exploration of how patriarchal expectations and pressures have destroyed someone's sense of self. Yeah. Lots of S's. At the same time, I expect for anyone that labels themselves a feminist to engage with gender as a spectrum and acknowledge queerness, even if it's not their lived experience. So there are those tensions. And then I ask myself, do I expect this equally of all directors? True. Am I this critical of men? And I I hope I am. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm saying that I expect more of people who have experienced marginalization, but that's not really fair. Right. Am I saying that women have more responsibility? Anna Biller is a woman of color, and society already puts the onus of calling out systemic and interpersonal oppression on the person being oppressed. Like, society is continuously fucking you over. Now teach the people that are harming you about it and remind them that you're human. Right. So we constantly put the pressure on people of color, on women to describe their own oppression to their oppressors. And it happens everywhere. (laughs) But I see it a lot on Instagram, specifically with uh, black women. Some of them are, some of the women that I follow identify as like activists, but all of these black women have pointed out how many white women are in their DMs and comment section demanding intellectual labor from them. This is all to say, I want to make sure I'm not mapping responsibility onto someone more marginalized than myself while insisting on the recognition that queer and non-binary people exist. Right. So I was torn in a lot of directions. Yeah. Because I was like, Anna's intent and her choices for the movie are based on her experience and she's allowed to share her experience. Right. But I'm also concerned because the way that she describes relationships between men and women don't include people that aren't men and women or people that are trans right. or like all, and that's not to say that trans women aren't women. That's not what I meant. Right. But uh, basically I just, I have concern. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I get it too. It's hard when it's someone's experience too. Yeah. Cause you don't want to like, take their experiences and be like now add more to it yeah quick like add include my experience yeah include this experience you can't do that no but it's also just really hard because you also want to include every it's i understand like yeah. I, I honestly yeah am unfortunately just like i don't really have uh an answer it's just a stuck thing so like yeah because me like as a queer woman watching it i'm like not mad that there aren't queer characters but i like when she talks about the film and she talks about relationships in a purely heteronormative cisnormative structure that makes me uncomfy right and so like that's where i'm kind of getting at this right so my nerd corner this time around is less of like how is this movie reflecting or impacting society and more of asking how do we engage with movies that are intended to be apolitical uh or when do they actually function apolitically? Can something be apolitical? Yeah. So Anna Biller has a blog where she writes a lot. <laughs> I haven't read anywhere near all of it. I've read a few pieces. Yeah. But I read one today. Uh, she wrote it back in 2018. Mm-hmm. And she wrote on why we shouldn't call movies feminist. And her perspective is that in order to call a movie feminist, it must, quote, have the express purpose of educating its audience about social inequality between men and women. Mm-hmm. And I would argue not take pleasure in the voyeuristic degradation or destruction of women. So that's a quote from her blog. She takes a lot of time looking at gender representations in the 30s, movies from the 30s, as a way to socialize people and encourage better behavior. Like one of her examples is overly simplified to this. Like if we show you a multidimensional woman who can work hard and be a mom, then domestic violence rates will hopefully decrease. Where it was like, we want you to see someone as a human and then maybe you'll treat them better. Right. 
And I'm still mulling over this concept of like stop calling films feminist for a variety of reasons. For one, there isn't a singular feminism, there are feminisms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I could talk for so long about that. <laughs> but basically, because positionality influences what we fight for and how every iteration of feminism is context dependent and the balance of power in oppression, power and oppression in society matters. And I'm still considering this because I think it depends if you consider feminism as an institution or a commitment or an action. And I'm just like generally hesitant to label something as feminist because it feels like a blanket statement that completely erases nuance. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather dig into the facets of the piece. The way Lovewitch examines societal pressures destroying one's sense of self, exquisitely done. An examination of gender and sexuality spectrums, not there. So this is kind of where I just get into like, I don't think that calling something feminist is helpful or a way to examine it because I think that there's so many facets, so many nuances, so many things to go into. Right. And I'm also just questioning how I map responsibility onto creators, especially characters that characters, creators that come from folks that are continuously and historically marginalized by society. Yeah. So this was just a very stressful movie for me to watch. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it so much. But right. That's why Nerd Corner was basically a circle. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, but it makes sense too. And it's, I understand how, I can understand how, like, calling one particular movie that you've seen, like, or any movies that you watch, like, a feminist movie or a feminist film, mm -hmm. I think it's one thing to call the filmmaker. Yes. Like, a feminist. Very different. But when you call a film a feminist film, and this may not be the case, I don't know, but to me, it almost feels like it'd be hard, because if you're like, oh, that's a feminist film, and someone who may not understand feminism as much as another person will look for that in another film and then just look for that one thing yeah. that one certain thing that that film had yeah and then be like well that's feminism and that's feminism and then they'll exclude things that could also be feminism yeah. because they didn't see it in that one film so and it's hard you can't give a film the title of being a feminist film because there's a lot of things that could be considered a feminist film depending on how you read it and yeah. how so and yeah like, <laughs> i get it it's one of those things where it's like Oh, that film's feminist? Who's feminism? Who's feminism? Because we talk exactly, about white feminism like, where it's not about, like, I could, there are so, so many good articles written by women of color about the harms of white feminism. And I'm going to link them in the show notes because that shit's important. Yeah. Um, but I also don't want to misrepresent uh, everything that Anna Biller talked about in that blog post. She yeah. also brought out, like, how we often apply the label of feminist film to films by male directors. Oh, and yeah. how that operates as like a gold star for them and oh how it God. elevates them. And so like she talked about so much more that I couldn't capture in this. It but. terrifies me to think uh -huh. that someone would see the Neon Demon and call that oh, a feminist film. Boy, oh, boy, Do you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like if you if you read it in a certain way, like I read it at first, like I'm sure I could dig and make a way. But then you, you hear the director speak and you're like, oh, fuck no. Yeah. So it's kind of dangerous, like you said, to do that. Because, like, I don't want to give that man a gold star. He no. doesn't fucking deserve it. And I'm not saying that you should give gold stars because the work no. is never done. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you get a gold star when things are great and they're finished, but, like, it's never done. So yeah. just keep going for that just gold star, going, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that I understand why it's a circle. I get yeah. it because I feel okay. the same way. Thank you. It's like Because <laughs> I was writing it. I was like, no, I'm just I... asking myself questions this yeah. whole time. It's a hard one because, like, I understand – Especially because it's so personal. I'm not going to sit here and be mm -hmm. like, oh, I wish you would have included more. Yeah. It's your experience. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. But also, like, when it's discussed, 
it does feel like, oh, there are other relationships though. Like you can't. Yeah. And it's probably not even purposeful. Uh, I mean, I would hopefully guess that like, it's not purposeful as much as it's just like very focused in an experience. So it's hard to look beyond that. And it's something you've lived. So, and I may be being quite unfair and it may just be like, people didn't pull that parts out in the interviews or it could be that like, she considers it, but she was very focused on her project because she spent seven years on it and right. it's her project. And that is too, true. It's like you spent so long on something and like it is your vision. It is yeah. something you've lived. Like who am I to yeah. make you put something in there that you haven't lived? Yes. I get it. So, so I'm not trying to shit on a biller yeah, or no, her vision she, or the work. But I understand yeah. why. Yeah. It is tough. But yeah. still, good movie. Good I, movie. I, I do like. It's gorgeous to watch. Gorgeous to watch. It's beautiful, and uh, I do like what it said. I mean, it had a lot of things. It did, But yeah. I also, because, you know, we've covered a lot of films by, like, men that have mm-hmm. been like, I just don't see myself in this really, like, yeah. that much. I really don't. It's been a while since we've seen one that I really did. Ginger Snaps might have been the last Ginger one. Ginger Snaps <laughs> may have been, like, the last one that I yeah. really felt a connection to a character. So watching this, even though I, at the end I was like, oh, fuck. I also was like, I get it. Like, yeah. it's nice to be like, oh, so it's not just me. Like, someone else feels yeah. this. So it was nice. It was good to be back. Like, <laughs> it was nice to not watch a movie by a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so is that society? That's that's all of society. That's I covered all of all society. All of it. Yeah. <laughs> we can talk to horror now. Oh, the talk horror. Talk to horror. Talk about horror. I'm bad at prepositions. I would talk to horror. Let's talk Did to horror. Did you hear horror. that good clink? Clink. <laughs> clink. Goose ran um, from that clink. Sorry, Goose. So, the horror in this movie mm. is great and also subtle. Um, it's weird because it's, when I say subtle, I mean like, there are no jump scares. There's no, you know, like it's not... I wouldn't call it a traditional horror film, but it is on top 100 horror films yeah. on multiple lists. Oh, like, shit. Okay, yeah. yeah oh, it, I have seen, yes. Yeah, it is on multiple people's lists of top 100 horror films gotta see. It's like number 46. Oh, like, shit. And it's up there, which is so fun because it's not even that old. Like, it's not like this has been out a long time. 2016. So it, yeah, duh, I wrote that down. So clearly it had an impact on people. So I think what's scary about it is... specifically like one for women is we've lived this a lot of this so it's hard and i understand the horror in it Mm -hmm. uh it's bloody it's got witches it's it's got a lot of stuff going on that is just really dope and i'm excited i'm gonna break into my notes (laughs) which are a mess this time because keep in mind i was also trying to figure out my internet (laughs) and also this movie like the linear nature is it's the I'll get into this later, maybe, but the sense of time is totally lost. You have it, no idea how much time passes 100%. between things. Not only that, but you have no sense of what time it is in this film. Oh, as ever. in, like, what the fuck? So I'll talk about that too because oh, I did I write it down. About that. Um, I took a lot of pages of notes, which is for me different because <laughs> usually I, if I like a movie, especially, it's hard for me to write and watch. So I will just try to remember things. But I wanted to remember stuff this time, so I was like, just keep pausing. So anytime a movie is like two hours, it's really four hours for me. Yeah. First thing I wrote was pretty movie. Oh, Technicolor, yeah. 60s, 70s, mostly 60s. Um, I like that they had the little shaky kind of car shot where they shake the camera a little bit. So be mm. like, no, she's moving. No. Um, she's Which we now know is highway. like rear photography or, you know, which is projection, which is so cool. 
Um, I even wrote, fun camera shot throwback. And I said, gives me um, Harold and Maude vibes, oh. which let me explain. <laughs> because Harold and Maude is not a horror film in any way. And it was technically, I believe, either late 60s or really early 70s. Oh. Um, so it's around the same time oh. period this is going for. I get Harold and Maude mixed up with Benny and June. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my god. I don't know the difference between these films. <laughs> oh my god. Harold the Mod is one of my favorite films of all time. Kate. I crushed you. Ugh. I'm so sorry for what I brought. No, it's okay. I get it though. It's a similar vibe, sort of. In oh, it's a way. just the name. It's just man's name, Mon's oh. name. That's the only reason. <laughs> Harold and Mod, Betty and June. <laughs> Yes. Okay, no. Um, Harold and Maude takes place in California as well. Uh-huh. So when they're driving, um, that first shot of, like, her car driving along that coast, um, there's a very similar shot. And, like, Harold, Harold, I almost said Harold of Maude. <laughs> and Harold and Maude, where um, he's driving, and, like, that is a big part of that movie, is, like, he drives to get away from things. And in this movie, she's driving to leave. So immediately I was sucked in because I was, like, Harold Maude's like my favorite film. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, you got me. I'm in now because it made me nostalgic for a movie I already loved. So that part was great. I love the shot of the coast used multiple times of her driving and like the car and just, I don't know. It gave me that immediate like escape vibe mm-hmm. of like she's trying to get away. Yeah. Trying to start over. And I love that. Um, subtle, but great. And then I said, um, this opener, it's timeless. Um, this movie felt like it follows in a way that, like, it had no time period. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, we know it's a nod to the 60s. We know it's a nod to, like, old Hollywood. Sorry, I choked. (laughs) (laughs) I got scared of Hollywood. (laughs) So it reminded me of It Follows because even though immediately we're reminded of the 60s, even with that shot with Harold Mott, I knew. I was like, ooh, 60s, 70s, love it. There are modern cars, modern cell phones, modern lots of things in this film. And I read, it is supposed to be shot in modern times. Yep. Just the costumes and the set dressings and, like, the way that they're acting is meant to be a nod mm-hmm. to the old, like, 60s movies. So it's weird. <laughs> it is weird. Like, we even had a friend say, like, I was baffled to know, find out that this movie is modern. Mm-hmm. Because, like... Yeah, it, it 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 is modern technically. Yeah. If you look, there's a few scenes where you can see just full on modern cars in the yeah, background, and I, they're not hiding them. Yeah, I have a thing about that later. Do you? I'm yeah. and I love that. I love that they kept it in this weird timeless like. It's almost like it's just in a vacuum. Like when is this? Where is this? I don't care. I love it. So that adds to the confusion. Adds to the like horror of it for me because I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> um, and that's great. This woman. This is not horror related, but I love that the cinematographer did, you know, uh, Jennifer's body. And this woman reminds me of Megan Fox. (laughs) The whole time I was watching it, I was like, Megan? (laughs) The whole time I was watching it, I was like, her nose is a blessing. I thought about this, and you're going to laugh so hard, but that when I was watching this, I went, I'm going to describe what I think the sound of her nose would make if her nose had a sound effect. Yes. And you're going to agree with me. I know it right away. Yeah! Thank you! <laughs> I was gonna maybe give it another little clink at yeah. the end where it's like, Vroop. everyone watch this film and then just go, Vroop. that is the sound her that nose. her nose would make if it had a sound effect yes. because she has a beautiful nose that yeah. goes, Vroop. Vroop. so she reminded me of Megan Fox, which yeah. immediately gave me Jennifer's body vibes. And then I was like, Ooh, so many people were comparing her to Lana Del Rey. 
Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> Not Lana. <laughs> Don't get me started on Lana. <laughs> get her out of here. She's better than that. Yeah. <laughs> she does look like her, though. Damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I love that, you know, this gave me a lot of throwbacks to a lot of movies. Immediately made me feel nostalgic for, like, a lot of things. So cool. Not necessarily scary, but super cool. Jerry scared me. Um, <laughs> let me just say, Jerry <laughs> freaked me out. He's the worst. He's one, the worst. And two, also just the makeup that they gave him and the hair and like everything. Mm-hmm. He looks obviously like from the 60s, but he also just had like that pale kind of that makeup. Gauntness. The gaunt and the reddish kind of lips. I was like, this man looks like a corpse before he's even dead. Mm-hmm. So he just creeped me out. All the men sort of like kind of creep me out, but he just had a vibe that I was like, oh, I don't like Jerry. Um, I do love that they show her kind of being reborn as a witch in this. It's great. It's very unsettling. Um, and I don't know if you can explain it, but like she kind of describes it as something like traumatic in the beginning. Do you know why? Or do you know which part? In the very beginning when she's in the car. And she's talking about, like, Jerry's death and not her, his death, but, like, oh, I've been through so much and I've been through a lot of things that are bad. And she has having flashbacks of her becoming a witch. Yeah. And I was like, is that something that was traumatic for her? Or is that her leaving, not not leaving, but, like, being reborn and being, like, I am going to be more than, like, I'm going to do these things and become something new and powerful to, yeah. Like, I wasn't sure. It was... I think there are a few dimensions of that. Okay. Because to me, my first thought was, like, transformation isn't painless. Uh, oh, okay. Which and I totally get. Where it's kind of, like, there's just all this emotion, all this grief, all this processing mm-hmm. of her, like, coming to terms with everything right. that she's experienced. And, like, processing trauma and grief is fucking painful. But there's yeah. also the dimension of how fucking creepy... The male witches. Yes, 100%. Uh, because which is she, also what I was kind of yes. alluding to is like, did he. I don't know. Do That's something, something that was just like upsetting. Because she, like, throughout the movie from Go, like, mm-hmm. she, when he's doing his weird, like, kiss from, like, the crotch right. to the chest to the lips, she turns her head so right. that it's her cheek. Yeah. And she, like, when he's talking about the classes, she's just like, oh, you're still teaching that? Oh, yeah. And then, like, at one point, he does just grab her tit from behind. Yeah, like, how dare you? Uh, assault. And Ugh. she's like, fuck off. And he's confronting her about killing men, but he should not have touched her like that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, no, fuck you. So there's clearly something happening okay. there. And I don't fully understand it yet. Okay. Because I also took it as just, yeah. like as a woman like you go through a lot of things and it doesn't matter how like powerful you become because like as a witch she does get like some power and she becomes like something to be feared but it doesn't mean that she doesn't have things that she fears herself so she's like showing this thing of like yes i became a witch yes i can do these things but i'm still scared like i still have things to be frightened of so i wasn't sure if it was that or something specific had happened but either way it's a really cool moment that's very unsettling because it's like this very wild not yeah. transfer not intense transformation but just like subtle nods of like something is different about her yeah. she's become something i love it it's it's just really cool i don't know uh and then i even wrote the set dressings are amazing and i'm glad that that is something that she wanted to get across because it comes across yeah incredibly like i oh i loved them she made everything picked it out redid it like she she did that shit did it herself like 
props to this woman. She's incredible. She yeah. really, like, an eye for detail. Oh, yeah. And She's like, ridiculous. I just, and it, like, didn't give up until it was just the right thing that she wanted. And I think that's yeah. really cool. Um, also, highly recommend. This just made me think of it. Like, if you want to see how cool the lights are in this movie and the lighting itself and, like, the colors, watch, uh, look up pictures mm-hmm. from behind the scenes and look how different they are. I need to look it up is, right now. It is very funny because um, I read, oh my God, I read a lot. I'll let you look it up. Oh. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's not as saturated, obviously. Yeah. Um, so like obviously she wanted it to be like reminiscent of like the 60s and like really, she wanted this to be really, really, really saturated. Yeah. But she wanted it to be as true to the colors that she had, you know, meticulously picked out as it could be. So they had to use combination of a lot of lenses to be able to keep the colors keep the high contrast but keep it saturated yeah so look up behind the scenes photos i found the magic of hard lighting for the love witch yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that's the article that i was like reading just look it up just look up articles about the lighting it's really cool to see behind the scenes photos of what the set looks like when it's not oversaturated compared to what it looks like in the film i'm gonna put it in the extended show notes very cool um you know, it just added a dreamlike feel to this movie. Like, we've talked about oversaturated movies a lot. I know that. And I know I use it a lot. But filmmakers use it. And it's effective. For a reason. And it's effective. This movie purposefully is dreamlike. And it's supposed to feel, in my mind, like like a dream. It's supposed to feel like these things are real. These things are scary. But just because it looks like a dream and it has these beautiful colors, like, it's not beautiful. Yeah. So that's what I took from it is like the lighting is great. Yeah. It's beautiful, but like everything that's happening is so dark. I loved it. Um, I keep saying that because I don't know what else to say except that just, oh, I could talk about the lighting in this all day. I loved that the women specifically and the witches, if you notice, specifically are very, um, very red. <laughs> um, this movie has a lot of red in it, mm-hmm. um, but specifically kind of around the women I noticed. And I don't know if that's true. I could just be wrong, but it seems like when the when the witches and the women in this film are dominating the screen, it's a very red tint or there are items in the background that are very red. Um, But when you see a lot of the men, they seem to be wearing a lot of green, which is the direct opposite of red, um, like on the color wheel. So it's, it's just an instant like change. Yeah. My thought on this is one, there was actually an interview with Anna Biller. Look at that. Breathe. That's good. Yeah. Where, um, Anna's talking about the first scene where you see uh, Elaine mm-hmm. and she's wearing a red dress, red nails, red car, red mm-hmm. suitcase, and how it's partly like red femme fatale, seductress, but then it's also right. everything she has matches. She is in control. She is meticulous. She is very measured and intentional. Yeah. And then um, the other part is that I would bet anything that like the red tinting on like female actresses and like scenes is to be reminiscent of the womb and menstrual blood. Oh, I bet. Because yeah. there's a huge tie there to is. like and that's something that Anna Billers also talks about oh, infinitely cool. in other okay. stuff where she she does have like a Twitter thread that has some comments on it, um, oh. from other people and from her like defending and saying I'm not a turf. But basically where she's like I recognize that trans women are women and not all women have uteruses but i also want to like 
elevate and idolize motherhood and the creation of humans from yeah which bodies. is one of the reasons she chose witches yeah like specifically which is we're supposed to i wrote down i'm sure you did as well yeah <laughs> uh, yeah um I yeah witches were supposed to be um the embodiment of men's fears of women and also the like the power that women have as mothers goddesses and just women in general yeah so that was the reason it was supposed to be around witches one good good thing for a horror movie is yeah. witches are classic it's of course but also just yeah it's a cool twist on yeah. like women are powerful and <laughs> men should fear them yeah which is what of us i took from the red light as well is because like when you see red you immediately kind of associate it with danger or stop or don't so it was this like men can't resist women even when they are like coated in this red like this is evil type or scary type thing but it wasn't me being like men should fear them it was me being like women are so powerful that like yeah maybe they seem angelic and sweet and like when they're in the club and they're dancing and they're like showing all you know they say you have to know when to show it you have you know that you have the power over men for doing this simple thing and that was so cool i liked that moment a lot because i don't know i just thought it was neat i thought it was really cool to watch this woman dancing man i don't know if you the woman in the, the blue. It was blue. Yeah. Oh yeah, I noticed that scene. <laughs> I loved that scene. I am just looking respectfully. Like, I am looking. Respect- <laughs> it was really a moment of I am looking respectfully. I have no. This whole like, movie she's working was those nipple tassels. I wrote. I was like, how does she know how to spin them so perfectly? It was beautiful, but it was also just it was so cool because it was just like you have to you know she knows when to show she knows what to show she knows. Just because she looks out. sexy and just because she's dancing and she's smiling, she knows what she's doing. She's got power over these men. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And the red lighting made me feel like they know that they're powerful and it didn't matter that we saw these men like being in charge and blah, blah, blah. It, it made me feel like the women are still in charge here, even though we do see the steady decline of yeah. like women losing themselves yeah. and men. I get it. So there's a lot to it and I don't want to keep going in circles with it but the red light just was really cool for me because they did it for a lot of the women i thought it was great um love the ambiguous time period thought it was great it also just keeps you in the dark which is what keeps things so scary can i say my thing about please the, okay. yes so i'll, I'll let you it. breathe please uh, love breathing but i was also googling to make sure i wasn't about to use a word wrong in like five minutes but um because <laughs> this is how i am but um so you mentioned, like, in previous scenes, you might have seen, like, modern-day cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never clocked anything modern-day until Trish is in the restaurant after Elaine gets up and leaves. Yeah. And after Trish's husband has died. And Trish is wearing the ring, and then she realizes that Elaine left her ring, and she just pulls out a cell phone, and she calls Elaine. Yeah. And it was this very jarring moment. And, like, previously there might have been... Like, modern cars in the background, right. but all of the main characters drive very old-school cars. They do, yeah. Like, very vintage shit. And so, this moment, she pulls out a cell phone. It was like, yep. oh, the unraveling has like, begun. Huh, what? It was like a spell broke. It was yeah. like, suddenly, this is no longer a fairy tale. Now we have the newer oh, yeah. cars. Because in the next scene, you see a modern car yeah. drive up to Elaine's building. Right. And it, to me, it was just like this moment where it's like, we are now in the descent. <laughs> yeah. Not the movie in the cave, but we are now descending into. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a really cool. See, I didn't even clock that. That's super cool of like, it makes it more real for you because you're like, this is happening now. <laughs> like, yeah. And 
that's on, like I said in the beginning of, like, when we were started talking, that's when I started to see myself in a lane, too, is, like, near the end where things started to, like, fall into place. I was like, oh, no. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is when the fairy tale breaks. Yeah. And that's, like, the scariest part. And it was unraveling, <sighs> obviously, the entire time. Is, but yeah. that was the moment where it sped up. And you were like, this is the end game. Like, this is where it starts right. to just fall apart entirely. Ugh. Yeah. And that's what makes this movie so in my mind is what makes it one of the best horror movies is the it's so ambiguous the whole time there's no timeline the time period is confusing you have it's, no idea how many days lapse between you have no idea there's so many things to look at too that you start to get disoriented and there's so many characters as well and it's like you it's just really amazingly done like yeah. they don't scare you with jump scares they don't scare you with a ton of blood they just scare you with being confused and lost and yeah for women, I think, especially, like, I think it, it's a, it scares you with relatability, where you're like, fucking hell, <laughs> like, this happens, this is a thing, this this sucks, like. Something that I read in one of the articles was about the cinematography, and, mm-hmm. like, how they just so expertly hold certain, like, shots longer than is comfortable, and have some yes. go quicker than is comfortable, so, like, yeah. they are constantly destabilizing you the whole time. It's wild. It's amazing. <laughs> there are close-ups that last so long there are some close-ups that are just like boop gone and it's like it it takes you on a ride like i told you like when i was doing this Mm -hmm. i was doing my laundry and so at one point my laptop was downstairs i was upstairs folding stuff and then it just went silent and i was like Mm -hmm. oh my laptop must have gone to sleep right literally for like over a minute total silence and so it's like maybe this is a long scene where it's quiet and that's intentional and then i was like no it really did just fall asleep so i started walking down the stairs and then i hear her murdering (laughs) him and i was like oh they really took that silence and drug it out so long using silence as a way to just make people so uncomfortable because as much as i love lighting and i could talk about it forever i could talk about sound forever too because Mm -hmm. one juicy foley duh it had it it had great juicy foley um, which is great. I mean, that's great, especially when you have moments like when she stabs him. Oh, mm. so good. It's like, bleh, disgusting. Yeah. Love it. But also just, it's those simple things. It really puts you there. It makes you feel like you're there. Um, but like you said, the silences, it's quiet for so long. And it's so un- long that you're like, is this intentional? You feel uncomfortable. You, you feel uncomfortable like you're there. Yeah. Like you're like, I just want this to stop. And then boom, you're, you're the next thing. As if it didn't just happen. And it's just, yeah, oh, it's a very psychological horror, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yes, it has witches. Yes, it has a little some blood. But for the most part, it is just messes with your mind. Yeah. Um, I felt so betrayed as well. And maybe I shouldn't have because this is probably obvious to everyone else. But the moment she took her hair off, I was like, <gasps> it's fake. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that her hair was just like that. And she takes this off. And I was like, <gasps> The hair. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I had no idea. I feel like I um, anticipated that. I should have. <laughs> but I'm really not sure if I did because when she took her wig off, I was like, ah, oh, of course, as I knew. But then I could not actually like, think. Did I? Did I actually know or am I just <laughs> in retrospect thinking that I remembered knowing? I had no idea. <laughs> I have no I idea. I was like, the hair. <laughs> um, but I did like this part because um, this is now, if you're keeping up, this is when we are, because the timeline is so weird. Mm. When she is in the cabin at this point and she has basically just been like, let's go right now. Let's yeah. do this. She's really taking control of this moment. What I like about this movie and what I like about this moment is that she makes love happen for herself, you know, as a love witch does. Mm-hmm. I get it, but not well. And it's unsettling. 
it never goes well. Um, but she convinces this man, let's go to your cabin. Let's do it. Like, she just does it. Um, she is at this point drugged him. Which is not okay. We not have okay. to just like, obviously, we're just caveat. It's not okay to drug people. Not okay to drug people. But she's a witch. She's scary. It's very unsettling at that part. It does upset yeah. me. Yeah. The way she says it freaks me out. Yeah. I do not like it when he goes, woo, what is this? And she's like, oh, some this, this. And Organic like, herbs, yeah. vodka, and highly hallucinogenic Hallucinogenic things. herbs. And he goes, hallucinogenic herbs. You're wild. And she has no reaction to this. She's just like, okay. Mm-hmm. Unsettles me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is tripping. He's losing his mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think at this point he's like asleep. And I loved, now that he's asleep, now that she is not like being something for a man she's not being a woman for him to look at she's just for herself she like removes her hair she just kind of gets undressed and i'm like just showing a woman doing things that like you would do every day that if you did in front of a man it'd be like oh don't that's so don't do that in front of a man like i love that scene yeah i just thought it was great and she like wakes up and she is bled a little bit yep. on the white blanket because she started her period and right. so she's like Oh, well, that happens. And she goes, like, whereas we are raised with immense shame in our hearts about that. Immediately, it, like... I was like, oh, no, she has to hide it. Oh, no, what is she going to do? And so she's like, oh, well, that happened. And so she goes in the bathroom, slowly unwraps the tampon, looks kind of happy, like, pops it in. Right. And she just keeps going. And And it's like... It's just something you don't see very often. Usually, I feel like in movies, you'll see periods being used as, like, horror a lot of times. (laughs) Ginger snaps. Like, ginger snaps. (laughs) Or, like, you know, or just, like, something they should be ashamed about. Or, like, moments like Carrie, where it's, Mm, like, made fun of. Like, she bleeds in the shower, and they're all like, ha-ha, let's throw tampons at her. And I'm like, she's on her period. Fuck off. Like, you all have periods. Like, so I just, it was, it was wild. I was like, whoa, she doesn't even care. That's great. I love that. (laughs) So that scene was not scary, but just cool. It was like, ah, yes, a woman doing things that a woman should be allowed to do without feeling like they're ashamed. So cool. Um, also, oh my god, the, of course I love you, looks miserable. <laughs> I wrote that in my notes, I too. so hard. Because at this point, again, if you haven't seen the movie, please watch it. It's very weird. It's hard to describe. Um, she's, like, she's done her, her magic on this man, and she has convinced him, like, yes, I've given you everything you want. And now he loves her too much. He loves can't her. It. He can't handle it. She can't handle it. And so, like, he is screaming all night looking for her. Elaine! Elaine! And she's like, I'm done with this. And then eventually she goes to see him. And he's like, oh my god, I'm so happy you're here. I love you. And she's like, of course I love you. And she looks miserable. And at that moment, I went, this man's gonna die. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh boy. Because he was too clingy. He became too much like a woman in her mind. Right. And it's, he. she even says that. Like, she literally says, like, like a woman. He did. And I'm like, fuck off. Yep. Um, and I said, ain't that just the way? And I wrote, that's a dead man. <laughs> that's a dead man. And then she's surprised and she's sad. And it's like this weird, like, you didn't love him. You didn't like anything about him in the end. But once he's dead, she still mourns him and is still sad. Yeah. And she's still like, oh, I'm so sorry that you're dead. Because she was idolized and she lost the right. source of her. Yeah. And this is where it starts to hit home too, is like, I've had relationships yeah. where I've like, pushed and pushed and pushed to make it the love I want. Yeah. Not necessarily the love I need at the time or what would really be healthy, but I push it to be like, this is what I want. This is what I want. And then when I get it, I'm like, okay, I don't want this. I'm bored. Yeah. But then when I lose it, I am 
upset. Like, so I get it. This movie hit home because I was yeah. like, it's all fun and games until you get what you want and then you don't want it. Yeah. Then it's gone and you want it again. Yeah. So or it's, you want it on your terms. Exactly. And if it's removed before you don't want it anymore, it's just like, no. Yeah. It's so hard. It was very hard for me to watch. Yeah. It got to a point where I was like, this is really tough. <laughs> um... I wrote the old piss jar. Sometimes you gotta piss in a jar. I wrote down, ah, oh, witch piss. <laughs> ah, the witch piss. Oh, I was like, piss. I watched it. I was like, no, sometimes you gotta piss in a jar. Yeah. Um, the I did Girl write... Scout has something to say. <laughs> oh, the Girl Scout's got something to say. <laughs> Kate said that to me once. Kate literally said that to me once. <laughs> and I'm not a Girl Scout. <laughs> we were at a bonfire and I said that. I was like, oh, oh my God. I'm so sorry. I was not trying to roast you. <laughs> I used to work at a Girl Scout camp to be clear. So I like, I'm not a Girl Scout, but I was a counselor. And I said something about the fire and Kate went, the Girl Scouts got something to say. <laughs> and just fucking roasted me. <laughs> and what I was trying to say was the Girl Scout who is knowledgeable in these affairs had something to add to the conversation. But what I said it was, came out the Girl like, Scouts got something to say. <laughs> the funniest shit. Um, I, I meant to say this earlier. I got sidetracked by like a bunch of stuff. And me interrupting you probably. No, just this movie has a lot of things to see. And I'm like, just like the movie itself. I'm like, where the fuck do I go? Mm. My favorite, one of my favorite lines in this movie, even though it, it broke my heart, is when she lines all of her clothes with the rainbow. And he goes, you've got two sides. The side you show to everyone and the side that's just you. Mm-hmm. Which is... I mean, true. Like, I mean, you know, for me at least, like, there are times where, like, I present this way that I think will get me someone to like me. Yeah. And then when I feel like they see the real me, I feel like they leave and I freak out. And so, like, when he says, like, who do you, who do you give that to? And she says, you, I give it to you. Yeah. And then, of course, it doesn't work out. I'm like, I hate this. Like, (laughs) that part broke my heart hard when she when he, she gives him this coat and she's like who do you give that rainbow to and she says you of course it's you and then it doesn't work and it's like what happens when you give someone the real you the rainbow and nothing works <laughs> well then you have to put your tampon in a piss jar in a piss jar and, and you set your dress on top of them. the grave and set it on fire uh, i might have gotten the, that out of order they do have to die first and then yeah, the sorry then they, the they fire, do have to die day. yeah so it hurt. I was like, yeah. oh, no. That part happened. And I was like, how dare you? Yeah. Like, I wasn't going to cry, but I thought about it. Like, I was like, oh, what have yeah. you done? So this just hurt. But yeah. It was, but it was good. It was scary. Like, it was like, it was real world scary for me. Yeah. This was the horror of being like, fucking hell. Um, I also did write, I love watching this needy man because... Mm. Deep down, even though I do want love, I do think men are the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just gonna throat hum in response. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whatever. But then we get back. So he he has died now. That was just I wanted to throw back. I, I meant to say that earlier and I forgot. Yes. Um, she leaves a lot of evidence. Yep, she does leave all of her DNA in multiple forms. <laughs> Literally her piss. Which, and again, is... Part of the fairy tale unfolding is because we don't know what time period this is. So, like, there is a chance that it's old enough that, like, I don't know, maybe they don't. Yeah. Who fucking knows? Who knows? They She doesn't seem concerned about it. So, to you and the audience, you're sort of like, I guess I shouldn't be concerned about it. Yeah. It it's gives like, you this, like, oh, she's killed whatever. before. She knows how to hide shit. Right. Okay. So, you're like, whatever. But then you're right. You start to be like, oh, well, that girl's got a cell phone. You know they're going to figure out whose piss that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this pistomer- pistory. <laughs> This pistery is soft. <laughs> Just 
merch with I'm a jar of so piss with a bloody tampon and this pistery is so happy with myself that I said pistery. <laughs> um, so I wrote, she's leaving a lot of evidence. And I wrote, oh, there's the fire. I thought, good, she's going to burn it. But then I was like, well, you can't burn a jar of piss. <laughs> yeah. When she said, okay, so that scene was wild because she like picked flowers in the nude. And then yeah. she was this very earthy, like, these are my bodily fluids. Yeah. Poured out in remembrance of you. Like, whatever. Uh, and so, like, it's just this very, like, serene, earthly moment, whatever. Right. And then she pulls out this bright, like, bottle of gasoline or oil yep. or whatever the fuck. And it's just, like, this vibrant, like, white and red. And I was like, okay, well, there goes the nature. <laughs> Loved it. It was great. Unsettling as fuck. She's just like, oh, yes, I love it. Burn it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, hell yeah, girl. <laughs> it... <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. You see yourself in a lane and then all of a sudden you don't and then you do and you're like, oh, fucking hell. It is a roller coaster. And that's part of the scary part. It's just like, ah. <laughs> um, I also wrote, I don't even know what part this is because I think it happens so often. I just said I love the red lighting. There. I was like, yeah, it's really unsettling. It's it's so, you know, gives you that immediate feeling of like danger. Yeah. Even though nothing like scary is happening. And then of course I wrote this dancer is amazing. We get to the dancer. This scene is one of my favorite scenes. It it really, um, also, they did a good job. I guess I should just say she did a good job considering she did everything. She did a great job of showing, like, women pitted against women in a way. Because you have the witches who seem to be very, like, let's help each other. Mm -hmm. But then you have, like, the women bartending in this Mm -hmm. burlesque bar who are, like, constantly being like, oh, those witches. Oh, my God. uh." And it's hard to tell if they are, like, scared of them. Are they jealous? Because, like, they kind of get upset. They're not even good dancers. Exactly. They're like, who are these girls? They're not even good dancers. Doesn't seem to... And then you hear the bartender be like, yeah, but they pull in a lot of customers. Yeah. And you're like, I... True. <laughs> so... I something to add to that from a later scene that we yeah, can yeah. get to later. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm almost done with my, like, notes yeah, for just for. the horror part. Gopher is what I said. Gopher. Gopher. <laughs> Gopher indeed. Gopher indeed. <laughs> um... The dancer was great. That scene is amazing because it really does show you that, like, women are powerful and we have a lot more power in a lot of things than I don't think... I think we realize. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I don't know how to, like, articulate well when I think these things. I just... That woman dancing was so powerful. Those men were just, like, lusting over her and would do anything for her. And I love that they're talking about that. But I also thought it was really poignant that it's coming from a man. (laughs) And I was kind of just like, fuck you. Oh, I hate him so I hate him. much. He's like, we celebrate the majesty of women. It's like, right. I was like, why are you saying this? You're like one of those fake male feminists that does it to get yes! women. Like, I did not like him ever. I didn't like him. So it was really hard for me because this scene is one of my favorite scenes and what they're saying makes sense. But I hate that it comes from him. Yep. But I also feel like it's purposeful because it's supposed to be like, some men, yeah, no, he gets it, but he doesn't. Like you show you you see him being shitty throughout the movie, and it's sometimes just like even the men who think they understand don't fucking understand. They like don't. they can't experience things like you do. It doesn't matter how well they think they get it. Like mm-hmm. it was really cool. So I wrote this note, and um, <laughs> you know the cop in the. <laughs> this is the dumbest oh, I'm note. so ready. I'm so excited. When they get to the the police station, you start to see. The, the main character who is like, not main character, but one of the main characters who is the man that she will fall in love with is the cop in charge of her um, case about this murder. There is a cop who is a woman 
who walks up to him and is like really attractive. And I wrote, ACAB, but she's gorgeous. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because I was like, ew, gross, but also, like, <laughs> but also, <laughs> she was beautiful. She was gorgeous. Um, she was just, oh, oh, cool as hell. Um, but yeah, and then again, I wrote so much red in this movie. This movie's so red, but I loved it. More seducing, uh, seducing dance. We all love a seducing dance. When she's dancing for Trisha's husband, and she's the like, part. pop. Yeah, she's like, like It's like, oh, okay, hold on. She, because when you see the woman in the burlesque, she's like, swing it. She's dancing. She, those nipple tassels went for a ride. Um, <laughs> fucking Elaine is just like, hip hop. Like, <laughs> it's like hip hop thrust. Hip, she's like, she really just, she gives them that hip hard. Yeah. And it was just like the music during it, the very beginning, it wasn't mm-hmm. sexy music. No, like the not first at all. half of that dance, she's like, <laughs> and then like, I have a boa now. And then once she stands on top of the table, that it's like the sexy music, but it's sexy danger music. But before that, it's like, oh, she, she pops that hip so hard. I was like, girl, you hurt. <laughs> She's not. And um, he's just entranced, but obviously. That's the, thing. that's the best part is like, I love this moment because like for us, I was like, what are you doing? What's going yeah. on here? But for him, he's like, who are you? I love you. And I'm like, oh my God, men are truly stupid. <laughs> I could brush my teeth with my tits out and some man would be like, I'll give you all the money in the world. Like, like it's incredible. Yes. Like, I, <laughs> and that for me was just solidified in this moment. She does that hip pop and I'm like, what are you doing? He likes it. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I wrote, this man's reaction is hilariously childlike, which is, you know, it makes sense. Because, yeah. like, a man sees a tit and they're like, yeah, woo! And the whole time he's like, I never got to be yeah. bad. I never got to be a bad boy. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fuck off. I don't like, care. I literally don't care. No. And I love how she's like, Oh my god, I'm sorry she laughs at you. I would never. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> the minute he starts to love her, she's like, ugh. <laughs> she's like, why didn't you write me back? And she's like, sucks, suck. <laughs> I hate you, that's why. <laughs> ugh. Um, I do like when they have the, um, so after this dance, she, she does her hip hop for this man. Very showgirls. <laughs> like, it's like a hip hop thrust because she forms like this triangle with her knees and, and her goes, pelvis and she's like, wow. <laughs> We're doing it just so everyone knows. Like, we are doing this while trying to explain it. And it's very funny. Um, uh, so we cut to, this is the part that really got me and I loved, is when they go to the expert who is supposed to be able to, like, know what's up with witches. He's completely green. Yeah. And I was like, I love it. I love that he's the complete opposite of what these witches, like, have been portrayed as oh, in this cool. film. Super red, super, like, bright and, like, their danger. And you see this man, he's got, like, green office, green shirt green everything and i'm like you are the opposite of these witches like mm-hmm. oh i love it and so it's like he's an expert but what does he know he like what you know what i mean i'm like you are the complete opposite clearly you are portrayed as like the solar like solar polar opposite of these women <laughs> and these witches because they're not all women but um it was just cool i don't know i was just like oh you're supposed to know a lot but at the same time you were so jarring to see that i'm like am i supposed to trust you it was mm. But green is a very trusting color, like, so it's it's calming. It lulls you into this security. Flips hair. <laughs> yeah. Kate has. Oh my God, you have green hair. I have red. Yeah. We're this movie. We are this movie. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that part was cool. I can't say for sure if I if it was intentional or what it meant. I just thought it was cool. It's a very jarring moment because this whole movie's so red and green is the opposite. And yeah. It's neat. Little antler hat. Thought that was funny. Roll a little hat. <laughs> this man has a teeny antler. <laughs> 
how did I not clock that? It's when the male, like, shitty witch is wearing his little oh, antler hat. Oh, yes, I did. Okay, I thought He's you meant like, the witch expert was wearing a little no, antler no, hat. No. I was like, um, that scene is very fast with the witch expert, which is why I was like, I don't know how purposeful the green is. Probably I just very. know that it's really cool, and it's a moment that takes you immediately like, oh, shit, this is different. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it cuts to, like, more ceremonies little little witch man has his little antler hat and it's little as hell and it made me laugh so yeah. hard because i was like oh you're so powerful with your little antlers <laughs> i was like why is he the one that's leading ceremonies I and like know. barbara's also like co-leading she but he seems to be like the head lead right. like he's a she's b and it's like who who gave you the fucking right which is so funny too because for me it was like he's saying everything that she is saying like barbara and i was just like of course. Of course a man says exactly what the woman has said already. But everyone's like, oh, he's the leader. Oh my god. Amazing. Where Barbara's supposed <sighs> to be like standing in for the goddess in this one moment. He's like, but I introduced her and I recognized right. her, so I'm just as good. And I'm all like, oh, fuck off. Like, fuck antlers. off. So that part's great. Um, this is where we get a first taste of like the weird costumes. Because right now we've got like, Elaine does weird wear some like strange, not strange, but kind of like flashy dresses. But they fit. I mean, for the most part, Elaine herself is very, like, outlandish in a way, like the way she dresses. So it's not that weird. Um, I sent you a picture of this. Um, When you get to the scene with the ceremony, which I don't know for sure what it's, what the ceremony's for. I just know that there is a ceremony with all the witches together. There is a man in a full-on wizard costume. And I don't mean, like, like subtle spirit Halloween. wizard. I mean spirit Halloween wizard. Like, like stars on the cape, stars on the wizard cape. hat. And he's just sitting in the background like, sup? <laughs> but it, it weirdly didn't bother me. Like, <laughs> I didn't even notice it until you sent it. Because you know me. I love costumes. Yeah. So this had amazing costumes because you had a lot from like early 60s. You had a lot from like close to the 70s, but still pretty 60s. Yeah. Um, Specifically, gunny sack dresses is what they wanted to have. Okay. It's a specific kind of dress that they had a lot of, which were really popular back then. So a lot of those dresses, which she had to search for and search for, and that's super cool. But then they had this outfit, this fucking wizard costume. And I was like, the fuck is happening? But it didn't bother me because I was like, this movie is oversaturated over this. Like it's, it's purposefully acted so dramatically that I was like, of course there's a wizard. It didn't bother me at all. Of course there's a fucking wizard. Yeah. As someone who usually picks apart costumes, as we've seen in the, the remake of It, where I was like, fuck no with this dandy man. I loved it in a weird way. Yeah. I wasn't bothered at all. I was like, it just makes sense. It makes it more dreamlike. Where I'm like, is this happening? What time period is this? Huh? Didn't bother me. That was great. Yeah. <sighs> wasn't scary necessarily, but it disorients you more. Where I'm like, what? Who's a wizard? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this is most, most of my notes. I, I mean, I... <sighs> Because I know I get in a, a rut where I just start, like, talking and talking and talking, but... Oh, this movie's also basically practical magic if it was just super fucked. <laughs> I've never seen that. Uh, it's just similar in the way that, like, she does a spell to, like, find someone who's her true love. And it's also a cop. <laughs> so I was watching this, and I was like, what's up? Uh, <laughs> Y'all like cops? What's up? Hey, Cap, what are you doing? What are you doing? Uh, yeah, I, I, I just said, men love sex, they're dumbass as hell. <laughs> <laughs> dumbass as hell the dumbass as hell yeah no i'm not saying the sentence was good and i'm not saying that i'm not also dumbass as hell but i'm just saying men love sex and they're dumbass for it yeah. <laughs> they are dumbass for it indeed <laughs> I, I said i love how quiet these moments are um 
especially the last moments, which is the one you talked about when you went upstairs. Um, it's so quiet that it's like this whole movie has been so a lot that all of a sudden it's nothing. And it's just like, what the fuck? Uh, it's great. And then the last thing I wrote was like, if you can't find love, you just like you imitate love. Yeah. Um, which is what she does. Like that painting above her bed is of someone who kind of looks like her stabbing a man and being happy about it. And it's something that she's looked at forever. And so she knows that like the scariest thing that can happen to her in this film is just like, no one's going to love her the way that she wants to be loved. So she'll just imitate the art that she's seen and she'll take the love and she just kills him. Yeah. So she's like, if you're not going to love me the way that I want to. Right. And then she can sit there and be like, look, I'm just like this painting, this painting of true love. And then she daydreams about being proposed to. And if she can't have that real love, she can kill the man before he can admit that he doesn't love her and leave off in her dreams. Yeah. That upset me. (laughs) Oh, that's my scariest moment. Yeah. It's not my scariest, but it is the moment where it hurt the most besides Mm. the rainbow part. It hurt the most for me because it was very much like, it's true. I can't find love. So I force it. Like I, I push it into a mold that it won't fit into. And then when it doesn't fit, I just pretend it does. Yeah. And then it's not good. Like, Mm. it's not real happiness. It is just this fake happiness until it eventually, inevitably, falls out of the mold it doesn't fit in. Yeah. And it hurt. I was like, oh, bitch, what? I was like, don't do this to me. Anna, who gave you the right? Who gave you the right? And, like, I understand why it's deeply personal because it felt deeply personal. Yes. I understood that it was an exaggeration and that it was... When she said, like, this is something very real and very dark, but I am making it palatable for audiences, it 100% resonated with me because I was like, I'm enjoying this movie. I'm having a great time. It's beautiful to look at, but it doesn't hurt any less for me. So when I hear people being like, oh, don't take it serious, I was like, I've experienced this. Do take it serious. This this is something I've gone through and it hurts. Like, it really hurts. I've been conditioned by society to think love is a certain thing and it's not gonna fit like that that's just not how it is this movie's incredible it's scary because how relatable it is for me and maybe other people are scared by other parts of it but for me it's terrifying just because oh i slowly saw myself more in elaine i even wrote elaine sucks does she get better and then i was like oh elaine sucks because this is what she thinks she has to be oh no (laughs) so those are all my notes i mean it's a lot, but it, this one, it was just hard. It was just so hard to keep track of my notes because every time I thought I was done with a scene, I'd have to go back and be like, actually, I love that. Mm-hmm. So that's, those are my horror notes. Oh, hot damn. They're long. I know. No, it's great. Uh, <sighs> that's what I had. Okay. There was something I wanted to build yeah, off yeah, of what yeah. you said. Please. So you were like, it's pitting women against women. Like the mm-hmm. um, folks that were tending bar, or not tending right. bar, they were like, I think wait, wait yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so you also see that escalating dramatically. Yeah. So you see at um the tea room or whatever. Yeah. Trish and Elaine are having tea. Elaine is just like, oh, I'm in love, and Trish is, I'm in mourning. Yeah. And uh, Trish is basically like, that's when I knew he was having an affair. Yeah, an affair. And uh, 
She's like, I if I knew who that woman was, I would fucking kill her. And yeah. Elaine just kind of smiles, like this self-satisfied smile, because she knows that she took something from another woman. Yeah. And to her, that is winning in the patriarchy because she wanted love. She deserved the love. Right. And so it doesn't matter who she takes it from. And the way the patriarchy works is that it pits women against each other. And yeah. you see that escalate again when you see Trish is dropping off um, the ring, right? Yeah. Yeah. And she goes into her bedroom and she sees like the wig and the eyeshadow and the lipstick. And yeah. she's just like trying it on. She's trying to emulate, become Elaine because yeah. she's like, Elaine has love. Elaine has this. And she's just like trying it on. And then she finds a picture of her husband yeah. on uh, Elaine's little altar and then she opens the drawer and finds like a doll and like yeah. a spell thing and then she finds like a letter Oof. and she's like oh Elaine seduced and killed my husband yeah. and uh, even if she didn't like actually physically kill him she led to his death right um, and then Elaine comes in and Elaine is in the background holding a knife looking scared off like out of her mind like yeah she looks scared unsettled and the rest of the movie Elaine is so controlled but when she is found out by another woman she does not have control anymore no. she looks terrified she's petrified it's the most emotion you really see from her this whole movie and so Trish turns around and Elaine like runs at her with a knife and they like grapple on the bed or whatever and Trish is yelling you bitch you whore you skank she yeah. never says you murderer no nope. she does say you like murdered my husband but the epithets that she has are very gendered. Yeah. It's like these are what people use to tear women down. Right. And it's like, again, the way that we see other women as competition. Yeah. And it just, to me, like that scene was just like the height of tension where it's not even like, oh, who's going to stab who? To me, no. it was like the rage and the pain yeah. was palpable. It was a very intense scene. And it's really hard to watch the scene before that, too, yep. when they are at, you know, their lunch and she's just lost her husband. Yeah. Because of Elaine, doesn't know that. And she says, like, I, it's so sad. Like, I guess I just don't have love anymore. It's, oh, it's so weird. When we were here the first time, I had love and you didn't. And Elaine just, like, doesn't even listen to her. It almost is like she's waiting for her turn to talk yeah. instead of listening. And she just goes... I have love now and just like completely ignores all the pain that this woman has been through almost because she's like I just want her to know that I'm doing well and I have something she doesn't because yeah. Trish is like oh enough about me and it's like honey your husband died you're mourning like right. you saw a traumatizing thing you don't at the tea room say enough about me how are you doing honey right. like, if that's something that you want to do to cope okay right but Elaine just cold ass yeah, like does not it, no she's like just like oh blooded. honey i found love again and i was like and they they use silent in that silence yeah. in that moment too because they they give her a little pause where elaine just smiles and is like i did find love and i'm like oh my god like i thought maybe i, I don't know they let her smile at her for so long and i'm like she didn't take any of that in she didn't retain any of no. that she did not care and it's just total dehumanization because of the way that, like, she is taught that her worth is tied up in how she is viewed by men. Yep. And if she is loved by men, then she is worthy. And if she can, like, redirect the love men direct at other women, she's even better. And it's really hard, too, because you do hear, uh, is it Trish? Yeah. You hear Trish say, like, when you first said that thing about, like, making sure that men love you, give them what they want. I didn't like that. Like, I, yeah, I, I thought it was horrible. I thought it was horrible. 
And then she says, like, but I guess you're right. She's like, but, like, I, I didn't give him what he wanted. And look, yeah. he went and took what he wanted she instead. She starts blaming herself. And she starts blaming herself. And it's so hard. That scene hurt, too. Because I'm just like, oh, my God, this sucks. Like, yeah. That Wayne was, does not care. That was one of the most painful scenes for me personally because I saw myself in both of them. Yeah. And where it's like you want to be Trish, but you're like, sometimes I've been Sometimes Elaine. you've been Elaine. And Elaine, like because Trish has started off like being like, oh, I think that sounds like the patriarchy has brainwashed you. Right. Well, she's British, so she's patriarchy. But it's like, she's like, you know, maybe you were right. Maybe I was wrong. I couldn't keep his love because I didn't give him enough sex. And I'm just like, honey, no, please, no. And it's like this heart breaking thing and it's hard because like i have also done similar things and felt similar things to elaine where i'm like yeah "Yeah, i got i got it like i won like i did did that and it's like it's horrible and i don't like it but also like i was conditioned to be like if i got something another woman didn't like i was better or it's not i'm the most ashamed of oh 100 that's why i hate it like oh that hurts because i've been both so bad yeah i've watched women like get something more than me and be jealous and i've watched this and i've like and it's like oh my god being on both sides hurts yes just as bad like so yeah i think we i mean like i don't think any woman can really say that they've never felt like they got ahead because they got something someone else didn't like no because you were conditioned to think that's what you should do you're taught that love is finite and that there's a limited amount you gotta get you have to kick other people down to get to sucks and you're also taught that only worth comes from a man and that, Ugh. you know, only men exist and the penis is all you want in life and, Gross. you know, all this. So there's, like, also the cis-normative, heteronormative bullshit, but right. even within hetero relationships or, like, anyway, yeah. Don't, ever, lo- don't ever let me give my rainbow-lined coat to a mediocre man, okay? Promise. I would never. Pinky promise. Oh. <laughs> okay, great. We did it. We're doing it. We're doing it. Pinky promise. Uh-huh. Yep. All right. It's binding. I had a dream that I made a pinky promise to someone and couldn't remember who it was. And then I woke up and I was like, who? Who? (laughs) Whose promise is this? This was years ago. I posted on Facebook when I was still on Facebook. I was like, did I make a pinky promise to someone in the last year? I need to know. (laughs) I was so upset. (laughs) They're binding. Yeah, they are. Oh, shit. Well, that's all the things I had on horror. I mean... Yeah, it, it, what was scariest to me was just how relatable it was yeah. and how much it hurt and how much I didn't realize it was relatable until we got there. And Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure I could say more. I'm sure I skipped scenes. But because this movie is so jumping around and the timelines are weird, it's hard to take notes for every single scene. But I think I got most of, yeah. like, the feeling of what I felt, which is just you're unsettled because yeah. it disorients you, but you're relatable as well, so it's it's weird. Yeah. For me, it was very... uh frightening and just all of that yeah yeah i think my scariest moment is like obviously you said it's not a jump scare movie but it's like a mind fuck and then it's like a holding up a mirror and not liking what you see right and for me it was more about like Mm. the tension and the moment where it tips over the edge yeah so she's like it's the room where she kills griff Mm -hmm. and it's totally silent and she's like oh I am going to cut his heart out and then we're going to be married and happy and he'll love me forever. And that's the moment where there is no turning back. Yeah. Like, arguably, there are a lot of points where she couldn't have, like, you know, if she stops, then there are still going to be repercussions. But this is the moment where it's like, this is the moral event horizon. Right. There's nothing after this. Yeah. Um, And I, oh my God, that scene is intense. I think for my, specifically, if I had to choose like a scariest moment, um... Yeah, I would just pick the one, cause, because like I said, there's no, no jump scares, so it's hard to be like, when was I mo- the most scared? Yeah. 
But I guess if I had to choose the scene that stuck out to me the most and still haunts me, it's the the rainbow coat. It yeah. just fucks me up. Yeah. I'm like, who do you give that to? The way we'll he says it. it I hate that he says it and like knows it's him. I don't know. The way he says it makes it be like, I know what you're going to say and I'm excited to hear it. That's the only reason I'm asking. Yes. I'm only asking so you can stroke my ego. Literally. So it just like hurt and her being so like you. Of course it's you. And then like a, the next scene just being like, I hate you. I'm like, you just gave him that rainbow. Like sometimes you show a lot of yourself to someone and then it's not even good or worth it. Or, and then it convinces you that like what they didn't like is the real you when really it's probably something stupid, but like, oh God, that scene fucked me up. So like, it's not scary. And I'm sure for like other people, they'd be like, no, that's not scary at all. But sometimes the most relatable scenes are just the, the most terrifying. Yeah. Oh, that's Absolutely. my favorite scene. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Are you ready for some really lighthearted tropes? Hell yeah. Okay, because these actually are lighthearted <laughs> this time. I was like, we have been... I knew this episode was going to hurt a little bit. Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, really sorry, everybody. <laughs> Do you remember the Cabin in the Woods trope? The brick joke. Yeah. It came back around. I love when a good trope comes yeah. back around. So when Elaine is doing her witch piss moment in the jar and she like takes out the tampon. Sorry, you said witch piss just so normal that I was just like, I guess, yeah, witch piss for sure. Oh, is it pigtail time? <laughs> oh, is it pigtail time? <laughs> we'll talk about pigtail time. Should I just talk about pigtail time? Have we talked about this before? I don't know if we have. One time when we were editing, I was getting my hair out of my face by putting them in little pigtails. And I was just like, yeah, put them in pigtails, whatever. Kate walks in from whatever room she was in, looks at me and just goes, oh, is it pigtail time? And walks away to put pigtails in. We've never done this. To be clear, never in our lives have we had a pigtail time. Kate just decided we have a pigtail time and it's when you do your pigtails, so I must do mine. <laughs> and she walked away with the confidence and came back with pigtails. <laughs> oh, is it pigtail time? No, okay. Yeah. And I didn't even question it. I was just like, I guess it's pigtail time. <laughs> So now whenever I have pigtails, Kate also has pigtails. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's pigtail time. <laughs> All right, go ahead with this, this brick joke. <laughs> so she's like making her witch bottle and she pulls out her used tampon and she's like, most men have never even seen a tampon. I know. And like much less a used one. And then it's like, whatever. Okay, cool. Like probably sure. right. I mean, you're right. 100%. Uh, and then later... <laughs> I don't know how many scenes well, later. It's a but, long time later. Yeah, which is why it's the brick joke. So two male detectives find the witch bottle and one of them marks, what the hell is that? <laughs> They're like, what's that? There's a woman there in that moment. I was I was waiting for her I, to go, tampon, it's a yeah. tampon. Like, I wanted her to just be like deadpan. That is a tampon, That's a tampon. sir. That's a tampon, sir. Like, <laughs> I loved it. That was one of my favorites. Just like, some men have never seen a tampon. And they're like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> just so frightened of this yep. bloody log yep. <laughs> my other favorite like comedy moment is not a brick joke but griff's uh detective partner is mm -hmm. confronting him and he's like get out of my face and then he pop punches him <laughs> and he's like you're out of line griff and you're out of line griff <laughs> okay uh, fuck that was funny and then my other trope have you tried not being a monster <laughs> So I had never heard of this one before, <laughs> but upon reading it, I was like, oh, this is X-Men. 
And it, oh. so it's basically like the, why can't you just be normal? And have you tried being normal instead of being different? Like, have you just tried <laughs> have you it? Have tried not doing what you do? Yeah. Just do something else? That's right. And so, like, I have two, like, images in my mind. One of them is the mother and the Babadook screaming at her child. <laughs> like, why can't, why can't you just be normal? That, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love those memes so oh, much. <laughs> So often this trope is used to be, like, uh, metaphorical about things that would otherwise be censored, like queerness, because, like, right. you know, Disney can't have outwardly gay characters ever. Oh my god, ever. what? No. No. So they have to be like, oh, I'm different because I have fairy wings. <laughs> like, <laughs> Nikki took a drink and then regretted it immediately. <laughs> I'm different because I have fairy wings. I'm gay. <laughs> Just deadhead, I am very gay. I'm so gay. <laughs> case the thing is like oh it's those damn witches they've always been outsiders they've always been ostracized and the extent to which depends on the time and like the degree to which they are punished for being witches right. depends on the time but they're still just not like normal good people and couldn't they just stop being witches and <laughs> knock it off <laughs> stop <laughs> so some people have read into the witches in this movie as being a metaphor for like queer folks yeah i don't see that really I, I don't either but especially with, i can like, understand it but... anna's like actual things about like right. she tells you what it's about and it's not about queerness in this case right and it's okay because from i can't say like how she identifies but the way she talks about it is not about a queer relationship right and she explicitly says this movie is about different types of love how men and women are impacted differently by love and mm-hmm. how women can be destroyed by societal expectations pressures and self-objectification right so I don't think that in this case the witches are standing in for gay folks. But no, I can no. understand it, but yeah, like yeah. no. <laughs> so the brick joke and have you tried not being a monster? I just tried like well, not being a witch. It's yeah. so embarrassing, but <laughs> stop it. <laughs> oh, the brick yeah. joke is great. What the hell is that? <laughs> are you ready to rate this movie? I think so. I'm- yeah. Okay, there are two things. I'm looking at, like, I took notes on, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. just images that stood out to me. And okay. then I realized I never said them during our discussion. No. And so they would not make any sense to you. Uh, one I'm of excited. Them is paintless brushes. Because oh, yeah. every single time she paints. <laughs> it was nothing. She literally, it has a close-up on the fucking canvas. And she's painting over something. There is no paint on the nothing. brush. Like, yes, she's painting on something that is fully already colored into, like... I guess it wouldn't make that much of a difference, but there's nothing. Because it's like she has this artistic vision. She's fixing the shadows. She's fixing the light. And then there's nothing. So paintless brushes. And then she makes all of those like dolls for witchcraft. Uh, She really does put like very delicately embroidered pubes on them. (laughs) (laughs) I had to lean away. (laughs) I didn't even notice the delicate pubes. Delicate embroidered pubes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> did, how did I miss another thing I didn't clock? I didn't clock the dick. It was American <laughs> Werewolf in London, and I didn't clock the embroidered pubes. I hate myself. <laughs> uh, my only uh, my only contribution to this was witch piss. I oh mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean that's an obvious like witch you piss know, was also on my witch list. Witch piss. Yeah. I mean, I also had giant wine glasses. Because oh my piece in that huge goblet. He's like, Whoa. see, I wondered if that was intentional to make him seem childlike in a way too, because he's supposed to be childlike. But it didn't matter. I was like, oh, I wonder if this is intentional. It doesn't matter. It doesn't it's funny matter. as fuck. He's yeah. just like, mm, 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 wine for baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> baby love wine. <laughs> wine for baby. <laughs> I love that. How many wines for baby would you rate this? 
yum yum. <laughs> Baby love wine. <laughs> oh fuck. I'm sorry, but I'm just picturing this man. <laughs> come here. Kiss daddy. Uppies. Uppies. Come. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a nightmare for everyone. If you stop listening, I understand. <laughs> what do you want to use to rate this movie? I can't choose. I can't either. I think a honest. lot was put on the table. Um, I have a favorite. I'm just okay. going to say it. It's embroidered pubes. <laughs> I was afraid that would win, but I... also... You knew what you, you, knew what you did. I you knew put what it I... on the table. I knew what I was bringing to the world, and I was There's ready to something. accept the consequences. You know Nikki Solomon can't resist. <laughs> delicately embroidered pubes on a doll it's too weird yeah yeah all right how many delicate embroidered pubes would you give this film we should do it at the same same, right one two three okay listen wait i meant to do four (laughs) i was like you can't give it five and a half that's not allowed and I just straight up gave Nikki holds up a full hand and then half of a thumb. I was so we I was so worried about giving you the weird hook finger that I was like looking at it going, make sure you hold it this way. And then I went, Don't worry about what this hand does. It doesn't matter. It's all about you, baby. This ain't about him. This ain't about the five fingers. This is about him. Four and a half, not five and a half. Well, I gave four. Nikki gave four and a half after confusing five and a half times. I forgot sometimes. Sometimes you gotta focus on one thing. I forgot this hand even went up. Arguably the more important hand. I saw the five and I went, that's not right. This really devolved, huh? I don't know if it was a second glass of wine or just, whoa, who knows? I think it's Love Witch. I can explain my four and a half, okay, not five and a half. Please, <laughs> um, you know me. Four and a half, specifically because they did so much work with filming in thirty-five millimeter, and also like all the cool like camera tricks. I read about all the different lenses that this this cinematographer had to use in order to make this work. It's insane. Like it's buck wild. There was a mix of really old lenses and old camera techniques mixed with modern techniques in order to try to get them to fit. And he had to, like, morph them together to be, you know, to get the vision that she wanted. And she he did. And I think that's incredible. So I had to give it four and a half. Because I'm not five. Because I understand that, like, it's not a perfect film. And I do have qualms. But it's so beautiful and so delicately shot. But also so meticulously set dressed in the costumes and, like... You can tell that so much love went into this from this director and she edited and she directed and she composed the music. And I just, when someone cares that much about a film, I feel like it shows. And I I saw myself so much in it too, that like, it was nice. It was just like ginger snaps where I was like, oh my God, it's so nice to see that someone else went through something that I felt so alone at the time. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, someone else has felt this exact same way. And like, it's scary. Like, this movie scared me, but also it was, like, reassuring. So it's this weird vibe that I got from it. So, yeah, four and a half. Like, it has its moments that, like, my qualms for it and everything, but it's such a labor of love. I yeah. just couldn't. I loved it a lot. I yeah. really did. I, my four is pretty much the exact same reasoning, where it's, like, mm. I have so much respect for the artistic 
just efforts and time and attention yeah. level of detail investment in this like emotional and physical investment in this it's incredible and it's a gorgeous movie to watch really beautiful <laughs> like the only reason i don't have a five is because i'm just like i think i need to unpack some things yeah. more and it could go up later it could go down later <laughs> because like, maybe i find out more exactly. things but i was i was i paused when I was watching, I was like, I don't know if this is problematic or if I'm not understanding a satirical element right. or if I'm missing something or not reading it right. And so, like, the only reason it's a four is because I'm still a little bit uneasy about a few things. Right. But and it's a gorgeous movie. It's gorgeous. Like, Fun to watch. Yeah. Even if, and, like, I know that, like, this movie has been so important to me specifically for talking about seeing myself in it and like seeing experiences if you don't have these experiences it's still a very good film oh yeah i highly recommend like please don't think that like if you don't share some like experiences that you won't enjoy this movie because it's a very good film it's Mm. beautifully shot if you just enjoy seeing like if you are just a person like me who just enjoys beautiful lighting and everything you would still love this movie even if you got nothing from the plot which i hope you would yeah it's just really beautiful and it's also I don't know. I, I it's a unique way to yeah. take, you know, like the director said, it's a really cool way to take a a more not lighthearted, but a more palatable look yeah. at things that society does that are very dark. Yeah. While still making it something that an audience could watch and be like, I enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> but don't diminish it. Yes. <laughs> because that sucks. Just because something makes, you know, is palatable and okay to watch. I've said palatable so many times. Mm-hmm. It's lost its meaning. Just because something is enjoyable does not mean that it's still not, it's like not important. Yes. So I understand where she's coming from, from like with that. Cause there yeah. are a lot of films where like, just because I enjoyed it doesn't mean it is any less important and it is not making a stance or saying something. It's yeah. still saying something just because they made it okay for you to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So that's a total of eight and a half delicately. Oh my God. Pubes. I forgot it was pubes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you chose this. I know. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so with eight and a half delicately embroidered pubes, that wraps up our discussion of The Love Witch. It does. Yeah, so if you enjoyed your time with us. I hope you did. <laughs> we would really appreciate it if you'd rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find us. And then it's also just really cool to read what folks have to say. Love it. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Just Go With It on both. Mm-hmm. And every Wednesday we'll post the movie as well as where to stream it generally. Also, just so everyone knows, this is the patron pick. We forgot to talk about <gasps> oh that. Oh my God. Fuck me. <laughs> we were like, oh, we didn't miss introducing we didn't a miss guest. Anything. We anything. forgot to give credit to our patrons. Our this patrons- is the patron pick. Our pages are amazing. They chose this movie, and I'm so glad they did. Yeah. Um. You know, so if you're ever wanted to join our Patreon, mm. we they get to choose a movie each month, yep. and we give them a list of movies. They mm-hmm. choose which one, and usually we'll try and choose like a movie from that list that wasn't picked that people really like still. So joining the Patreon's great. We have a lot of stuff, but that's one of the things they get to do is choose the movie. They chose this one. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Oh yeah. I, every single time our patrons have picked a movie, I have been like, good choice friends. (laughs) It really has. It's always been good. It's always been something I enjoyed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. uh, let's just shout out those patrons now. Yeah. So, that's Kim, Kelly, Nihar, Will, Rachel, Kelsey, Sula, Tim, Beth, and Kayla. Hell yeah. And we appreciate y'all so, so much. (laughs) You can find our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash justgoolwithit. And the intro and outro music was created by Anthony Roccozella. And the cover art is by our very own Nikki Solomon. Ah, jeez. Who is she but a little witch? Um, who am I but a little witch? <laughs> Wine for baby? <laughs> Let's uh, 
take it out by getting some wine for baby. <laughs> and then they turn us off and never listen to us again. I hate myself. Unless you like it, then it's a patron special. We'll do a baby voice for you. Anybody there? 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 No! Echo! Echo! <laughs> Echo! <laughs>